0: number one, Psalm 1, and we're thinking about this first Psalm this morning under the theme The Secret to Happiness. The Secret to Happiness. Music fans, cinema fans, sports fans all across the country are getting very excited. Instead of having to sit at home uh, watching their team play on TV or watching recordings of their favourite artists, uh, the most loyal and hardcore fans are counting down the days until they can finally go and see their favourite artist or sports team in person again. Uh, If you've been to a concert at the SSE Arena, or if you've been to watch Ulster play at the Kingspan Stadium, uh, you'll know that before you can find your seat uh, and really enjoy the whole experience, you have to go through the right gateway. You have to make sure that you're going in the right direction. And most likely your ticket will correspond to one of the turnstiles or one of the gateways into where you're going to take your seat and enjoy the experience. Well, The first two Psalms of the Psalter are like a gateway. They're, they're like, if you think of Psalm 1 and 2, like a, a set of double doors into the rest of the Psalter. The first Psalm of the Bible songbook doesn't begin with a great outburst of praise, like Psalm one hundred and three, for example, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me bless his holy name. The first Psalm doesn't begin like that. It doesn't begin the Psalter doesn't begin either with a Psalm full of reassurance that God is with us in tough times, like Psalm twenty three or Psalm seventy three. It doesn't even begin with a psalm confessing sin, like David does in Psalm fifty one. Psalm 1 in some ways sounds more like a simple statement of facts rather than a passionate outburst of praise. Why is that? Why, does, why is the first psalm of the Psalter constructed the way it is? Well again it's because Psalm 1 is part of the gateway into the Psalter. It forces us to consider whether we are living on the right path, whether we are on a path towards greater fellowship with God, a path of will, give us the joy and desire to praise him and worship him in the way that some of the other Psalms do, or whether we're on a path that ultimately leads to perishing. To put it another way, are we ultimately going to be happy people or are we going to be miserable people? Contrary to what most people think today, the Bible does not want us to be miserable. The Bible wants us to be happy in the fullest and deepest sense of that word, The very first line of the first psalm shows this to us. Uh, It says, blessed is the man. And that word for blessed could just as easily be translated happy, content, satisfied. This first psalm, friends, is going to show us how to embark on the pathway to true happiness. And equally, it's going to warn us against the pathway to ruining our lives. And before we can worship God in the way that the Psalter intends, we need to ask ourselves, which path are we on? And so there are two pictures in Psalm number one for us to think about today. And so first of all today, a picture of a perfectly happy man. A picture of a perfectly happy man or woman. The Psalm begins by telling us what we need to avoid to be happy. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, Derek Kidner has written an excellent commentary in the Psalms. He rightly says that this first verse uh, is, a re- is a rejection of the thinking, the behaviour, and the company of the wicked. It's a rejection of how the wicked thinks. It's a rejection of how they behave and it's a rejection of even keeping company with them. The counsel of the wicked, the psalmist says, that's that's the way the world thinks. The way the world thinks about sin and life and death and heaven and hell. The true believer rejects the way the world thinks about such things. He will also reject the way of sinners, the way that they act, the way that they live And the truly happy man will reject the seat of scoffers. That's the company of them. He won't want to be among them uh, in in those moments when they're just mocking and scorning and sarcastically criticising the word of God and and indulging in lifestyles and behaviour totally contrary to the word of God. The happy man won't be a part of that. The blessed man won't be a part of that. Those words, wicked and sinners and scoffers, uh, those words all describe people who know what God's word says about any given issue, whether it's sexuality, living with integrity, keeping one day and seven holy, but whilst they know about it, they reject it and they scoff at it. And they pressure others to do likewise. There was a very old lady who lived into her hundreds. She was once asked, what's the best thing about being 104? And her answer was, no peer pressure. No peer pressure. Peer pressure can be relentless no matter what age you are, unless you get perhaps to be over 100. Uh, But peer pressure must be resisted if we want to be perfectly happy people. Where do we turn to strengthen ourselves against the wicked and sinners and scoffers? How do we avoid their counsel and their company and their influence? we we'll look at verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The word means that at the level of his heart and soul... The word of God is what the truly blessed and happy man longs for. He loves it. He's preoccupied with it. He can't stop thinking about it. It takes up more of his love and interest than anything else in his life. There are many perfectly good things that we can take delight in. Boys and girls, I wonder what you delight in at home or at school. Maybe uh, you have a particularly favourite subject at school. Or maybe you like uh, craft or, or drawing or artwork. Maybe you just like getting out and riding your bike when you get home from school. Maybe you have a favourite book. Uh, those are all things that we can delight in and enjoy. And adults, of course, have their own delights. Men and women this morning, what do you daydream about? What do you look forward to most in the week or in the month? Where does your mind go when it is time, if it does have time, to wander Well, the psalmist says, the truly blessed, happy man, amongst other things perhaps in life, the sorts of things I've just mentioned that are good and and worthwhile, but most of all, the truly blessed man is delighted and excited and taken up with God's word. The word for law there is the word Torah in Hebrew. It simply means instruction. This man delights in the instructions of God and maybe to to some of our ears some of the time that that doesn't sound possible does it to be delighted in someone's instructions but it depends on the situation doesn't it if you're passionate about a job that you're doing it if there's someone that you respect how they do that job you, you want to learn from them you want to listen to them well how can i get to the the, the level that you're at how can i uh, go forward in this particular area of my life Well the psalmist is most concerned to pay attention to the instructions of God, to the word of God, what he has commanded for our lives. Verse two says as well, On his law, on his instructions, he meditates day and night. He meditates upon God's instructions. Uh, The word here means mumbling or groaning. It means that we read God's word and we repeat God's word to ourselves over and over again. Maybe by listening to a podcast halfway through the week. Maybe by having a good Christian book that we're reading at just a page or two in the morning or the evening. Maybe by a Bible study with friends or in church. We, we don't just take that time when we have God's word in front of us in the Lord's day as we do now, and which, is, which is crucial and good. But we let it sink into our hearts and we let it tumble over in our minds and we repeat it to ourselves during each day of the week. Imagine you're in a foreign city and, and you get lost. And I suppose nowadays you probably also have to imagine that you don't have a phone to get you out of uh, the difficulty that you're in. And so you have to do what people used to have to do. You have to ask someone for directions, You find someone who can direct you, they tell you go down straight to the end of this street, take a right, quarter of a mile, take a left and you'll be there. And you thank him and you head off in your way but what would you do? You would keep repeating the instructions to yourself all the way, straight down, turn right, quarter of a mile, turn left. You turn the words over and over in your mind, you don't let them go out of your mind, you keep meditating upon them. Or to give another illustration which some of you might be familiar with uh, what the cows do when they eat grass they chew it they swallow it and they bring it back up and do it again and again and again to get the the most out of it to get all the nutrition and goodness from it and so as we hear god's word on the lord's day or on another day in the week We hear it in that moment we think about it right now but it's good friends to to let it come back into our minds to think about it again and to chew over it again in some other form during the week this is what it means to meditate on the instructions of god and verse 3 shows us the results of all of this the first word of verse 3 in the original is actually the word and most english translations don't take the time to translate it but Uh, That that little word and shows us that verse 2, verse 3 follows on from verse 2. Verse 3 shows us the outcome of what happens if we do what is instructed in verse 2. The outcome of delighting and meditating on the the instructions of the Lord, we're told in verse 3, is that we're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and has a leaf that does not wither. Perfectly happy man, friends, who meditates on the word of God is like a strong, firmly rooted, fruitful tree. The picture there is also of stability. The word planted emphasizes the stability. He's unmoving. He's not swayed in the breeze of peer pressure. He's not swayed by the, the changing norms and tolerations of society as we thought about last Lord's Day evening. He's not blown over by the temptations of his non-Christian friends. He's planted, he's rooted, he's grounded. And he has vitality and he's well nourished by a steady supply of God's word in his life. As well as that, the perfectly blessed man, it says, is fruitful and prosperous. He yields his fruit in season. In all that he does, he prospers And that's what you'd expect from a tree that is well-planted and well-watered, wouldn't you? You would expect fruitfulness. You would expect signs of life. And so, friends, what we have here at the very beginning of the Psalter is a picture of a perfectly happy man, a perfectly blessed, happy man. In other words, friends, what we have here is a picture of Jesus, a picture of Jesus. Can any of us... Or can anyone else here say today that we have never taken bad advice? Walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Can any of us here today say that we've never joined in sarcastic scoffing like unbelievers do? Can any of us say that we've always made God's word our constant source of greatest delight in our lives? None of us can say that. But The Lord Jesus can. The Lord Jesus didn't once follow bad advice. He didn't once come out with a sinfully sarcastic scoff. He made his father's instructions his constant delight. From the age of 12 when he disappeared off to the temple. To the moment he began his public ministry. To his dying breath on the cross. The word of God was in the heart and mind and upon the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything Jesus did, friends, he prospered. And that doesn't mean that in everything Jesus did, he became rich and popular and successful by worldly standards. But it means that everything that Jesus set out to do and in everything in which Jesus knew that he was commanded by his Father to do, he did do. So that eventually, before he died on the cross, he could say, it is finished. Jesus stands here at the gateway of the Psalter, friends, and he says to each of us here today, if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for satisfaction and blessing and prosperity, follow me. Follow my example. Follow in the the path that I have laid out for you. Follow in the path of the perfectly blessed and happy man. Sometimes preachers can essentially say something along the lines of, well, Jesus did all the things we can't do. So as long as we trust in Jesus, it doesn't matter what we do. And that's not true. And of course, Jesus has done all that we are unable to do because of our sin. Jesus has earned the, uh, the, the love and the blessing of his father in a way that we couldn't earn. But nonetheless, friends, faith in Jesus means imitating Jesus. Faith, we're not saved by our good works. We're saved by faith and then that faith will show itself in our good works that we then do. And so the way that we know that we love Jesus and are following Jesus is that we increasingly become like him. We increasingly see the same sort of fruit in our lives that we saw in his life. Kindness, gentleness, love, obedience to his father. Let me ask you today, do you delight in God's word more now? than you did this time last year or five years before that? Do you have a desire to become a stronger Christian, a a better Christian in the best sense of that word? Do you chew over God's word each day or is it mindlessly read and then quickly forgotten? The says he meditates on it day and night. In other words, it shapes his whole life. Does the word of God increasingly shape your life? Is it increasingly running in your mind like a record over and over again? Walking into school, going to visit your elderly loved ones, working through the marriage issues. It's all steeped in a mumbling and a digesting and a regurgitating of the word of God. If that's the case, friends, the result will be that our lives will prosper Again, not, in the, not necessarily by the worldly definitions of that word, but like our saviour, we will more and more be the people that God wants us to be. Spiritually speaking, we will be flourishing. A wife or mother who delights and meditates on the word of God will increasingly have a home that is prosperous. A husband encouraged Children happy and and knowing that they're loved and secure. Visitors feeling welcomed. A man who delights and meditates on the word will produce the fruit of the spirit. He'll be strong and yet gentle, passionate but self-controlled, hard-working but patient with others. Young people who delight and meditate on the word will stand out a mile from more immature and mixed up peers. And some of those peers might even begin to realise that their Christian friend has a sense of security and drive and direction in their lives and a happiness that they want for themselves. Elderly people who delight and meditate on the word will still have stability and vitality even into their last days. Their legs and arms might begin to wobble, but their spirit is stronger than ever because they are well planted and well watered. The church that delights and meditates on the word will be a shining light, a city on a hill, a living witness to a dying world. Friends, Jesus, the perfectly happy man, stands at the gateway of the Psalter and he says, follow me, follow me. So a picture of the perfectly happy man but secondly, and finally this morning, we also have in the psalm a picture of the perishing man. A picture of the perishing man. First we have the picture of an abundantly fruitful tree. Then in verse 4 we get a different picture altogether. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In ancient Israel, the way the farmers separated wheat from chaff at harvest time was they would go to the threshing floor with their, uh, their, with their huge big forks and they would toss the wheat and chaff up into the air. The chaff would grow in amongst the wheat. And so the farmers would toss it into the air uh, in the cool of the evening, especially if there was a good breeze blowing, as there is in Dramor this morning. And they would toss the wheat up into the air. The wheat would be heavier than the chaff. And so the wheat would just fall straight back down. But the chaff was so light and dry and empty that it would get blown away in the breeze. Gone with the wind. And notice the psalmist spends three verses describing this picture of the perfectly blessed man, the the fruitful tree. Three verses on that, just a line on the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind will drive away. And that's all he says about them. Because ultimately, friends, those who persist in wickedness, those who resist the will and the instructions of the Lord, who make the ways of the world their delight and their instruction, they might be successful now. They might seem to be indulging and enjoying sin now. But when the harvest comes, they will be tossed away as easily as chaff. And that's all that there is to say about them. And we've thought a little bit about this as we've made our way through the series in Revelation. And thought about how those great cities that many of those churches were situated in. They're just rubble today. Those cities that seem so powerful. The the people in those cities that seem so influential. And today they're just gone. And it's worth remembering that friends as we look at our own nation today. And all the turmoil and changes of leadership and tolerations of our society that are out of kilter with God's Word. We've come through many, many years now of turmoil. The financial crisis at the turn of the decade. You think of all the the ungodly laws that have been passed in recent years, redefining marriage and liberalizing abortion even further, and other laws that have been long standing in our nation that are contrary to God's Word. And perhaps much of the upheaval and difficulty and turmoil of one kind or another that our nations have been going through these last few years is a reminder to God that we are only creatures. That we are here today and gone tomorrow and meanwhile God continues to rule over the nations. Just as the chaff is separated from the wheat at the decisive time, the harvest time, so there is coming a moment And the righteous and the wicked will be separated forever. Look at verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The chaff grows amongst the wheat for a while but it can't stay with the wheat forever. Nor can the wicked hide among the righteous when the judge of all the earth comes to separate them. Notice, by the way, how the roles are reversed in verse 5 compared to verse 1. In verse 1, the righteous man was being tempted to stand among sinners. But when the end comes, the wicked will be wishing that they could stand in and hide in among the righteous. But they won't be able to. On that day of judgment, all will be exposed. Those who really did delight themselves in the Lord's instruction, those who did mumble it to themselves and meditate upon it and witness to it, they'll get to enjoy the Lord forever. Those who remained unrepentant, who scoffed, who mocked, who pretended will not escape the judgment. Verse 6 sums it all up. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And when it says the Lord knows, friends, it means that he he approves, he has personal interest and satisfaction in the way of the righteous. Sometimes someone says to you, you know, I know what you did. And it doesn't just mean that, you know, they know for a fact what you did. It means that either they were very pleased with what you did or they weren't so pleased with what you did. You know, I, I, I know what you did with, in the classroom yesterday. Or I, I know what you did yesterday when you were out driving too fast in the road or whatever it might have been. Uh, I know it can either mean approval or dis- disapproval. The Lord says He knows the way of the righteous; He approves of it. He loves it. He He's pleased with it. But the way of the wicked will perish. And that word "perish," friends, again, it shows that the way that the wicked are walking in today, it might seem like a, a, a smooth roadway. It might seem like a, a like a, a trustworthy path to follow. But over time gradually it gets less and less sure underfoot. Gradually there are more and more bumps and potholes, and eventually it leads to a pit of ruin. And so there are warnings from this path, this picture rather of the perishing man. The first warning is for any of us professing faith yet toying with sin. Psalm one shows us that perishing is a gradual process. Look at verses 1 and 2. Walks not, nor stands, nor sits. First you're tempted just to walk over to be be closer to sin. Then you're tempted to stand among those who sin and then you're tempted to sit uh, more permanently with them. Think of David on the rooftop seeing Bathsheba and then wanting to be with her and then ultimately sinning with her. Getting more and more comfortable It's a gradual process of walking away into the path that perishes. In the pilgrim's progress, every time Christian stops moving forward in the road, something bad happens to him. To move backwards or to move sideways off the road and off the beaten track is to stand or sit or perish with the wicked. And so we must ask ourselves this morning, is there some sin in my life that I need to stop flirting with or fiddling with? Is there something behind me or beside me that I'm tempted to walk towards instead of walking towards the goal of life with Christ? Is there something holding me back from greater delight in the instruction of the Lord? And there's a second warning in this psalm, and that's for anyone, not just just a believer that might be toying with sin, but for anyone who... Is pretending to be a believer who isn't a believer at all. He's trying to fool others. Or even fool themselves that they are part of the congregation. The gathering of the righteous. Says in verse 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There will come a moment where you will be separated. You won't be able to pretend any longer. We read Jesus' words earlier, Matthew seven twenty two. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I have a friend who claims to support a certain football team. But the rest of us give him a very hard time about it because he doesn't show any interest in the team at all. Uh, He only shows a bit of an interest in them when they win a trophy. He's never gone to a match. He often doesn't know the score, even days after the game. He calls himself a fan. Is he really a fan? Are you really a Christian? When there's a chance to delight yourself in the instruction of God, do you take it? When there's a chance to be with other people who love it and live by it, are you there? When your sin is exposed, do you repent? Some people are very confusing because they know a lot of the right answers to the Bible. They know how to look and act like a Christian, but there is no spiritual life in them. We'll see a very stark example of that this evening, God willing, in Revelation they aren't people who delight in the instruction of the Lord. They're far more easily delighted by work or sport or themselves. Let me ask you today, will you be able to withstand the judgment? Will you be numbered in the congregation of the righteous? There's a wonderful encouragement today if we are trying to persevere along this pathway of righteousness a pathway that as jesus said is difficult at times it's dangerous and exhausting but a path that is the way of delight the encouragement is that the lord quote knows the way of the righteous again he sees you he's pleased with you believer this morning however weak or imperfect you know yourself to be if you're a genuine follower of christ this morning whatever trials might be battering you and assailing you the lord knows the way Of the righteous. Those of you who are parents, either of little ones or older ones, and no one perhaps knows the umpteen things that you have done for your children without any recognition, the Lord knows that you did it because of your delight in Him as well as your love for your children. Those of you who have poured even one cup of juice at a holiday Bible club, the Lord knows that you did it because of your delight in Him. Those of you who faithfully, quietly see to the needs of elderly or frail loved ones or neighbours or friends, the Lord knows that you do it because of your delight in him. Those of you who come faithfully, week by week, worshipping and giving and witnessing as part of the local church here, the Lord knows about your delight in him. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we stand at the gateway of the Psalter, the question is, who amongst us will spiritually prosper? Who will go forward in faith and who will perish in sin? The issue will be decided by what you do with this, this first psalm and the Saviour it points you to. Amen.